Hey, uh, today I want to begin by looking at a particular story that is one of my favorites in the New Testament, uh, the second half of the Bible. And it's a story that's found in Luke uh, chapter 5, and it begins in an interesting way, but I want to give you uh, a little background on it. So uh, Jesus is in his early 30s, and he started his public ministry, and he has uh, healed people, he's performed miracles, he's taught all kinds of people. And just before uh, this story that we jump into today, uh, he has just healed a man who is paralyzed, and in healing this person, uh, the Pharisees, all the religious leaders, get really bent out of shape about the fact that not did he heal him, but that he forgave his sins. And they're all uptight about this. And then we get to our story, which will come up on the side screens. And it says this. After this, that is after Jesus healed this guy who was paralyzed and uh, the religious leaders got uptight. Jesus went and saw a tax collector by the name of Matthew sitting at the booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Matthew got up. Matthew left everything. And he followed him. Later, Matthew held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So here is this little interesting story, very short, and some of you are probably thinking, how in the world could he teach so long on such a short story? Years of experience, folks. Years of experience. Now, the main character in our story today is a guy by the name of Matthew, who was one of Jesus' 12 closest friends called the Disciples. Now, Matthew was a part of the most hated profession of his day. He was a tax collector. Israel was occupied by the Roman Empire, and Romans would give tax franchises to different Jewish people if the Jewish person renounced their Jewishness. And these little tax franchises were kind of like a Subway or a McDonald's franchise. Uh, corporate doesn't necessarily own those. Somebody has franchised it out to them. But this particular uh, tax franchise was not about fast food, but it was about fast money and a lot of it. So Jews who would renounce their Jewishness... They would buy these little tax offices and they would go ahead and they would tax their own people, their own friends and relatives, and then they would send a portion of it to Rome, but then they would actually keep most of it in their own pockets. It was legalized extortion. Now you can just imagine what people thought about Matthew. I mean, he was not looked upon very highly. He was considered a traitor, a sellout, 
and a dirty, rotten scoundrel. All the tax collectors who were a part of this, they made a lot of money, but the people around them knew it was a bad business and that they were being taken advantage of. So the text says that Jesus goes right to and approaches a person just like this. And he's sitting in his little tax collecting booth and he's extorting all of his countrymen. Jesus goes straight to Matthew. He walks up to him and he asks him, will you leave it all and come and follow me? And the strangest thing, Matthew leaves everything, closes up shop, and he follows Jesus. Now, we don't know why Matthew did that. The scripture doesn't tell us. Maybe he was tired of the profession. Maybe he had received so much wealth that he was ready to have an early retirement. Maybe he had heard about Jesus before. Maybe he had actually even listened to him and he heard him teach and he thought, oh, this might be the one. And he was maybe convinced that it would be the Son of God, but it had to be an invitation. And once this invitation came, he decided. But whatever the reason was, Scripture tells us that Matthew immediately obeys. He leaves everything that he has known and he goes... To follow Jesus. He never looks back. So imagine what this means for Matthew. I mean, just imagine how his whole world now has been turned upside down. No longer is he arguing and extorting from people around him, but he's not hurting anyone. He no longer is hearing people talk underneath their breath. Oh, you know that Matthew. Oh, geez, I hate Matthew. I just hate him. Now he's following Jesus. And every day he listens to this teacher who is amazing. And he hears about the love that Jesus has. And and not only hears about it, but he actually watches Jesus love people that nobody else in the culture wanted anything to do with. This is a whole new life for Matthew. And my guess is that Matthew ate this up. I remember in the very early days of the jar, there was a guy who I had connected with, and he was a rough guy. I mean, just very, very rough. And he really didn't care about God. He didn't care about people. He was never very smiley or happy when I was around, for sure. And... His wife would come regularly all the time, and finally she guilted him to come to Easter one Sunday, which some of you probably will guilt people to come to Easter on Sunday, okay? And he came, and in his very first celebration, the power of God came into his life, and he was totally transformed. He came back the next week and the next week and the next week. And he's come for years and years and years. He finally got baptized. He uh, volunteered any way he could. He got involved in a small group. Anything that we offered, he was a part of. Now, in the very early days of the jar, uh, we didn't have access to everything uh, that we do here at the Y. And so we had to meet in homes if we ever offered any classes. And I offered a class on listening. And this guy showed up. And he should have. 
because he was not a good listener. And so he shows up to this listening class. I, I teach on it. We're all done. We're getting ready to walk out of this home. And all of a sudden I get this prompting from God's spirit, not audibly in my ear, but just kind of in my uh, spirit to say, go tell that guy you love him. I was like, I ain't going to do that. (laughs) Guys, don't tell other guys, hey, love you, bro, you know. And I was like, I'm not doing that. And we keep walking out and it's just like thick, like in my chest, like you got to say this. So I walking by and I'm just like, hey, man, love you, bro. Put my hand on his shoulder like that. All of a sudden he's like, he's weirded out. He doesn't say a word, and he leaves. I'm like, he ain't coming back. You know what I mean? Like, like he is done. He is not coming back. And a couple days go by, and I get a phone call from him, and he said, hey, he said, sorry that I was so quiet and kind of weirded out by that, but he said, I'd never had another male, another man, not my father, not my uncle, not my grandfather, no one ever told me that they loved me. And he said, when you said that, it just overwhelmed me so much I didn't know how to respond. He said, you see, I've wasted the first half of my life. And the first half of my life, I'll never forget this. He said, it's all been about velocity, but no direction. And I've lived a dangerous life. And he said, but I've decided I'm not going to waste another moment of my life because I have a lot to make up for. You see, I think Matthew was kind of like that. He was just sick and tired of his old life that he wanted something new so badly he would do anything for it. And Matthew does, and he follows Jesus, and his life has changed, and all is great. But then one particular day, He pulls away from Jesus and the rest of the group and he starts thinking about his old tax collecting buddies. He just starts wondering, like, wonder what they're doing. Wonder what's becoming of them. I wonder how they are. But most of all, what he does is he feels bad because he's walking with Jesus every single day and his life has changed and he has joy and he feels like even though the circumstances of life don't always change, I really feel like God is moving in my life in a great way. And most of all, he's, he's so excited about the amazing love that Jesus has for all people, no matter who they are, and he's non-judgmental and he's caring and he's loving and it's an unconditional love that pierced his heart. And he doesn't know what to do, but he's thinking to himself, I just wonder if my buddies would meet Jesus, how their life could be changed. But then he starts thinking practically, they're never going to do that. They're never going to come. I mean, I'm just new to this God thing myself. There's no way that I'm going to be able to teach them anything about Scripture or how to pray or anything like that. I mean, there's just no way I could do it. But he doesn't give up. He just keeps stirring and stirring and stirring and brainstorming and figuring something out. And all of a sudden, he has what he thinks is the best idea, at least that he has. And he thinks, well, maybe, just maybe, it might work. And so he decides that he is going to throw a huge party. The parties of pates. And he's going to do it at his home. He's going to 
flip the expense himself, and the scripture tells us that it was a huge banquet. And so he decides that he's going to invite all of his old tax-collecting buddies to come with him. And surely they'd come because they'd come to many of his parties before. Some of them were moochers, you know, so he knew they would come. And then he thinks, um, what if Jesus came? What if Jesus and some of the other disciples came? But would Jesus come to a party like that? I mean, I, I don't know. Some of those guys are kind of rough. I, would he come? Would, would the disciples come? So Matthew takes a risk. He decides when the party's going to be, how it's going to be. He sends out the invitations to all of his tax collecting buddies. And they're all like, dude, we're in, man. We remember some parties, remember? Yeah, we're in. We're going to be there. And then Matthew comes to Jesus and he's like, I got to sell Jesus on this. I got to sell the disciples. And he starts talking about it. And after a little bit, they're like, we're in. And so now Matthew has the date, the time, he knows when the party's going to be, he's ready for it, and he's filled with excitement, and yet there's some anxiety and concern and just worry, because what if this thing, like, blows up? What if it doesn't turn out exactly the way that he thought it would? What if it's a train wreck? What if it goes badly? Well, the night of the party finally comes, and the scripture actually tells us, it says, the place is packed. The text says not only were the tax collectors there and Jesus was there and the disciples were there, but it says that some other folks started coming. They must have got word out that, man, this is a party of our parties. You've got to come. And so all of a sudden there are some party crashers. How many of you have ever crashed? Don't raise your hand. How many of you have ever crashed? Yeah, I know. Well, this whole thing is unfolding better than what Matthew could have ever planned. And there's energy in the room and conversations are going and people are talking about funny things and serious things, but it's going so well. And Jesus and the disciples are kind of milling around, getting to know uh, some of Matthew's old buddies. And then it all comes to a halt. The party gets busted. But it's not by the... Cops, that would have been bad enough, but it's actually busted by the religious cops. The Pharisees and the seminary professors, they walk in with their long robes. They burst into the banquet uninvited. They walk right up to Jesus. They get in his face. They get in his grill. And it's on. And they start yelling in a loud kind of preacher voice. How can you be the son of God when you're hanging out with losers like these folks? Do you realize how immoral they are? How godless they are? And they're all gathered in this room. And can you imagine how quiet the room must have got then? As Jesus is confronted with someone sticking their finger in his face... Can you imagine how embarrassed Matthew must have been? I always picture Matthew like kind of cowering over into a corner when it's all going on like, ah, man, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. This isn't the way it was supposed to work out. 
And Matthew's worried that the party's wrecked. So here's Jesus. He's being busted. But the strange thing is, is that Jesus is not rattled by this at all. He looks around at the tax collectors. He just smiles at them. And then all of a sudden he looks at the Pharisees. He looks at them straight face to face. And he just says a very, very small sentence. It says this. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He's like, where should doctors hang out? Planet Fitness? No, 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 no. Doctors ought to hang out where there are a lot of sick people. And then Jesus goes on and he actually throws a shot that you might not notice initially when he says this, I have come, I have not come, I have not come to call the righteous. He looks right at the Pharisees and he said, hey, I didn't come for you guys. You're self-righteous. You've got it all together. You don't need me. You don't need me. You think you've got it all figured out. You really don't need me. You've got enough righteousness. You're good. He goes, I have not come to call the righteous. He's like, by the way, we were all doing pretty well until you walked in, and then the righteous level just started coming up. But sinners to repentance. Sinners to repentance. Now, unfortunately, the text doesn't tell us how this ends. But I was thinking about it this week and just taking a guess, just kind of wondering. So this isn't theological. This isn't, you know, thus saith the Lord. This is just my opinion. But I think what happened in that moment when Jesus said this, the Pharisees just kind of spun on their heels and they walked out in their self-righteous attitudes and they left the party. Because they had achieved what they wanted to achieve. They had embarrassed Jesus and they had made a big scene. And I think once they left, Matthew's like in the corner and he's like, have they all left? They're like, yeah. He's like, uh, hey, band, get it going. So the band keeps playing, and all of a sudden, you know, people are dancing, and people are eating, and people are drinking. Everything's going great. Everybody has a wonderful time for the rest of the evening. There are these fantastic conversations that are going on. Friendships are being formed. People are connecting back and forth. And then as the party finally winds down, and everyone has left... There's Matthew, you know, because if, if you've hosted the party, you've got to clean everything up. And so he's cleaning up, you know, all the stuff, putting them in bags, getting it all ready. And I think because Jesus was such a servant, Jesus was one of the last people who left. And he's there. He's like, hey, Matthew, you need a hand? And Jesus starts helping him. And as they walk out the door, after everything's cleaned up together, it's like one or two in the morning because the party went a little bit late. And they're walking out. And Matthew turns to Jesus and he looks at him, he starts apologizing. He's saying, like, Lord, I hope I didn't get you in too much trouble. I mean, I know how all that religious stuff can be and they walked in. I hope I didn't get you in trouble. 
and I have a feeling that Jesus just kind of looked at him and was like, it's no biggie, Matthew. I'm not in trouble. No big deal. I mean, I've had worse before, and believe me, there's worse that's coming. I know it is. So don't worry about it. And then I can imagine just before Jesus walks away, he puts his hands on Matthew's shoulders. He looks him straight in the eye. And he says two things before I leave. He says, first of all, thank you for not forgetting about your old friends. That's kind of your fill-in if you want to put it in there. Thanks for not forgetting about your old friends. Jesus says, so many people that I invite to come follow me, what happens is they get all excited, they're fired up, they're ready to do that. They start following me, but they ignore and they forget their old friends, their lifelong friends. But you didn't, Matthew. You didn't forget. You remembered them. Way to go, Matthew. Way to go. And then secondly, I think Jesus turns to him and says, hey, by the way, great job of throwing a party. Inviting the disciples and myself to come and you invited everybody. I have no idea how you pulled it off, but you did, man. And you took a risk and you weren't worried about it. You just went for it. And then the Pharisees came and it could have been the end of it. And I know it felt awkward. I know it did. But you were just like, hey, keep the band playing. Just let things go. It's no big deal. It was quite a risk, Matthew. It really was. But you took it. And I'm so proud of you. I'm so very, very proud of you that you took that risk. Way to go. Way to go. And I get a sense that Jesus was walking down the road. And then he's like, oh, Matthew, by the way, uh, next time you throw one of those parties, count me in. Just make sure I'm on the top of your list. Any of your friends, I'd love to meet them. Count me in. Now, again, folks, that's, that's just my guess. That's just my opinion. But from this story, I want to ask everybody in this gymnasium two questions this morning that you have to answer for yourself, and I do too. But the first one is this. Are you remembering your friends these days? Are you remembering your old friends, your party friends these days, your work friends, your neighbor friends, your so-called religious friends, your golfing buddies, your girlfriends that you do a shopping trip with every once in a while, your stand-along-the-sideline friends at the softball or soccer or baseball fence friends? When you think of your friends who are still far from God, do you ever wonder, wonder what their life would be like if Christ really became the center of it? Can you imagine what their life would be like if God really like was the driving factor? What if you invested them in enough in which one day they came out of the waters of baptism with their hands up and they're like, I'm clean. I'm like finally clean from head to toe. Can you imagine what it would be like if you invited them and they sat beside you and they were worshiping and then all of a sudden forever he is glorified and you're singing that together? Can you imagine you building into their lives enough to where finally 
They're like, we're going to teach this stuff to our kids. And they start teaching it to their kids. And that whole generation's done. And the generation for Christ is one for multiple generations. So I'm asking you folks this morning, are you remembering your friends? Or did you kind of move on spiritually and you've just ignored all the old friends? Second question. Are any of you taking any risks to help your friends come to faith? Are you taking any risk whatsoever to help your friends come to faith? Do you ever spend even a minute during the day where you just pray for one person who's disconnected from Christ or the church? Or you take some time and you're like, God, would you give me an idea? Maybe a book I could give, some word I could say, some encouragement I could give, inviting them to church, whatever it would be. Folks, every single person that I have ever helped to grow into a relationship with Christ, guess what? It took a risk. There is no such thing as a risk-free kind of way to get people to Christ. This has never happened to me before, where all of a sudden I go to an old friend. Hey, would you like to come to church on Sunday? Yeah, they come to church on Sunday. Bam! The Holy Spirit changes their life in such a way. And all of a sudden they're like, Woo, Jesus, I love Jesus! And they live the rest of their life like that. It doesn't happen. It is not a downhill, risk-free thing. It takes a risk. Folks, every time you reach out to one of your friends regarding God, there is going to be risk involved. There is always, there is always a risk involved. And there's never a perfect time to take the risk. There's never a time where you're like, huh, I wonder if this would be a good time. Right in the middle of breakfast, lunch, dinner, at a ball game, at a movie. It's never a good time. And most of the time, not all of the time, sometimes I don't, sometimes I disobey, but Most of the time, when I get a prompting of something I should say or do, I'm like, okay, okay, I got it. I have a friend who I uh, prayed for years and years for, and to be honest, he never really moved that much. We golfed together, we played basketball together, we went to basketball games together, but honestly, he never moved that much spiritually. But I love this guy, like a brother. And then... One day, he called me on the phone, and he said that his mom had been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer, and there was nothing they could do for her, and he wondered if I would come and visit her and pray with her. And so, I did, I went, I prayed with her, visited with her, and we're walking out of his mom's house, and we're walking to the car, and when I get close to the car, all of a sudden, just this thought in my mind's like, you know, you golf together, you play basketball together, but he's not going to heaven. We're not going to heaven together. And I felt something within my spirit, within that moment of saying, you need to tell him how you feel about him and what God could do in his life. And we get to the edge of my car, and I finally turn around, I'm like, hey, buddy. I'm like, man, you know, I love you like a brother. And I don't want to go to heaven without you. 
Would you please, please consider accepting Christ? And when those words came out of my mouth, I felt like I was an alien. I was like, ugh, what just happened? You're not supposed to say those kind of things to, to other guys. Hey, man, I love you. Have you thought about heaven? But it was just the most genuine expression that I could have in my life. Sometimes I'm challenged to invite people. Sometimes I'm challenged to give a book. Sometimes I'm just challenged to help somebody. I, I saw a guy this weekend. And he's downtown, he's in a wheelchair, and he has a yellow Tennessee jacket on, and he's driving his electric wheelchair, and I'm at a stop sign, I'm like, ah, I need to go talk to him, and I was going to give him some money, and all of a sudden, I I look, and it's turning green, and the cars are behind me, and I'm like, ah, I better not do that, so I pull up to the backside of the sheriff, uh, you know, that whole complex and there's this little like entryway that you're not allowed to be there unless you're a police person but i pull in there i get out of the car and then i can't find him i'm like they're going to put me in here so i get back in my car i back out i almost get hit with other cars coming through because they're turning two different ways i look all downtown finally i spot the guy i go up i give him some money talk to him for a little bit and uh that was it now that took a risk. It was a very, very low risk. It didn't count, uh, cost me much except time and, you know, maybe getting arrested. But other than that, you know, it wasn't too bad. But when these risks come, what do you do? And especially when it comes to our friends who are trying to reach out and point toward God. Folks, pointing people to faith has always been and will always be a risky business. There is no risk when you do that. That's why we need the Holy Spirit's power within us, and we need His confidence and His boldness within us, because based just in my own strength, I'm a scaredy cat to ever go and talk to someone about things of faith. It's risky business, and that's why we have to bathe ourselves in prayer about this. That's why we have to talk about it as a large community sometimes where we share. Because I know we won't do it on our own. So I've got to teach about something that will energize you and fire you up to say, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to reach out to a few of my friends. My most treasured possession that I've received this year is a uh, little message that I got on Facebook from a friend of mine. When the jar first started, he came and we played softball together and we uh, played basketball and different things. And he came for a couple years, he and his family, and then all of a sudden he just kind of left. And his life did a 180 toward the direction of nothing really to do with God. And his life went off the rails and things just got bad for him. And I didn't talk to him for a very long time because I hadn't connected. And then Facebook came into the world. And then over the past eight years, every once in a while, I'd just send him a little message about, hey, I was thinking of you, I was praying for you, and I really was, and just wondered how you were doing. 
and would say, God hasn't given up on you and neither have I. And so I'm at this funeral visitation in November and I see him and he's gotten remarried and so I'm talking to to him and his wife and uh, just had a great conversation, invited them. And then in uh, January of this year, he and his wife show up and they're sitting back there and I'm like, I was shocked. And later that week, this is what he wrote me, and I keep this in a treasured folder by my desk to remind me how important it is. And it says this. Hi, Chris. It was really good to be back at the Jar Sunday. As you probably know, my life has been a little crazy the past eight years or so. And I'm thinking to myself, no doubt, dude, I haven't heard from you in about eight years, you know. And then he actually said this. I'm sure you're probably not shocked. But for these past four years, I finally met a good woman, and I couldn't be happier with my life, or so I thought. That was until Sunday, when I came back to the jar. I had honestly forgot how much I enjoyed coming there, and how much better life in general is when you're connecting with Christ and the church. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for not giving up on me and forgetting about me. I was always a little surprised and humbled when I got a message from you that you would take time out of your busy schedule to reach out to me. That always meant a lot to me. Without you doing that, I don't think I would have ever come back to Jesus or the jar, your friend. And I'm in my office and I'm reading this and all of a sudden I start bawling like a little baby. Like I said, I I put that on the side of my desk because I wanted to remember this. Never give up on people. Never, ever give up on people. Folks, you know sometimes what happens, the busyness of life hits our lives and we move forward and we're fast and we forget how high the stakes are. And the stakes are very high. I've said it before. But I want to say it again today, that the single greatest gift that you can ever give a person, another human being, is this, to introduce them to the God who loves them. The greatest gift you can ever give is to introduce them to the God who loves them. Because that gift has a payoff for the rest of their life. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. And this is the cool thing. Then it goes on to the next life as well. You can give a person a million dollars. But if it doesn't change their soul, you might get a, hey, thanks so much. But at the end of their life, it's done. It's absolutely done. But give anyone an introduction to the God who loves them, and they will thank you not just in this life, but they will thank you forever. The single greatest gift that you can give to someone is to introduce them to the God who loves them. You know, every once in a while, I kind of need a punch under my chin to remind me of this. Of like, Chris, what are you doing? 
yeah, 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 you're doing a lot of good things in the church and with your family. But do you have eyes for anyone who you've had a relationship with who you know are disconnecting from Christ or the church? They're, they're hopeless. They don't have hope. Are you doing anything with that? And 90% of you who are here today, you spend most of your time at work. And you know what bugs me maybe more than anything else? Is after the celebration, a person will come up to me and you can tell they're frustrated about something. And they'll be like, my coworkers, I just can't stand the environment. All they do is cuss like sailors all the time. And they are sleeping in this bed and that bed and the other bed. And pastor, you wouldn't believe. They're drinking and they're smoking and I don't know what all they're doing. And they're just obnoxious at work all the time. And when I hear this, I think to myself, I would give anything to be able to spend some time with people like that. I mean, I'm around Christians all the time. 40, 45 hours a week. It's all people that are already Christians. They're praying, they're Bible believing, Bible praying, you know, 45, 50 hours a week. You want something to complain about? Complain about that. I mean, if you were in my situation, I'm telling you, there's no challenge. I was thinking about it this week. I'm walking down the hallway. Someone's like, hey, can you pray with me? I'm like, oh, yeah, just left praying with somebody else. But sure, let's go ahead. I go back to my office. Someone calls on the phone. Hey, just wanted you to know I was praying for you. Oh, great, great. Somebody sends me a text. There's prayer everywhere. I mean, I would do anything, folks. I really would. I would do anything. I would love the environment that some of you are in. Folks, it's no accident that you're in the job that you're in, the office you're in, the restaurant you're in, the construction site you're on, the school that you're in. It's your opportunity. It's your mission field. It's your target group to say, there is a God who loves you. And you could be light in the midst of that. And God's asking you, would you be light? Would you bless? Would you serve? And when that starts happening, and I've seen it with jarheads before, when they finally start understanding that's what that is, it changes the way they look at work. It's not just about going into work and getting a paycheck. It's about the fact that I get to mold and shape lives today. And you guys have the privilege of being able to do that 40 hours every single week. And you can introduce people that I will never have the opportunity to. To a God who loves them. So as we close, I just want to give you three quick kind of rapid fire coaching tips. And the first tip is for those of you who are already Christ followers. You're already fired up. You're like, hey, man, I'm ready for Easter. I know who I'm going to invite. Or you're a Christ follower and says, well, I'm not sure, but I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to step out. And your heart is stirred. And I just have one word for you, and the word is this. Go. Go. Just go back to your workplace. Go back to your neighborhood. Go back to some of your old friends in a fresh way, and invite them. Let them know, hey, Easter's coming. 
It's more than just a bunny. You can come see the bunny and get your picture taken on Saturday if you want. It's all free. But Easter's coming. I'd love for you to come. And folks, what kind of influence would you have if you were able to do that? What kind of influence would there be? To go and to reach out to your coworkers, your neighbors, people in school, reach out to people who are maybe far from God and disconnected. Because this is the thing, folks. God is counting on you. God is not counting on Billy Graham for that person to come. God is not counting on Joel Olstein. He's counting on you. Second group of people I have a coaching tip for. Those are individuals who, you're here today, maybe you've been checking out the jar for a while. You kind of know things, but you're not so sure. There's still a few puzzles that are missing in the midst of that. And my word for you is no. Maybe some of you just need to know what it means to publicly to make a confession of faith to to Christ. To say, I want Jesus in my life. And you could get baptized In a couple of weeks, today we're having a baptism class. I'm teaching it. It's right after this. Lunch is provided, child care is provided, and you're like, I just don't know. Well, this is how you'll know. We'll explain what that looks like. Baptism isn't about you getting your act all cleaned up and then getting baptized. It's about saying there is one who will do that for me, and I'll rest in him and on his grace. And so right after this, you could come and, and be a part of that. Third tip, and this is a word for everybody, and this is the word. So go, know, and the third word is show. Every single person here, I want you to take the next couple of weeks, regardless of where you're at on the spiritual spectrum, and to show God's love to someone. Now, how could you do that? Well, one way you could do that is when you leave today, we're going to have signs like this that you could take, Yard signs, and you could put it in your yard. I put this in the church yard. And anyone want to take how long, how long it took me to do that? 11 seconds. Do you have 11 seconds between now and Easter to put one of these in your yard? I realize that it will be a risk for some of you. Because for some of you, you'll put it in your yard and some of your neighbors will walk by and they're like, they go to church? (laughs) Well, if they go to church, then I'm going to that church because if they would accept them, then I know they would accept me. (laughs) Eleven seconds, you just put it in there. Second thing you could do that's real easy. In your program today, you received a card that looks just like this. It says, fill the seats. There are a few seats that are over here in this area that we need to fill by Easter. If they're going to be filled, it will be because you go and do that. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to think about three people between now and Easter that you could invite. You can write their names down here. And then... Email them to me, and I promise I will pray for whoever those people are that they would come, and you could do that. And what I want to do right now is I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you did not get one of these, just raise your hand. One of our uh, 
greeters can get that for you. But I don't want you to do it without some power, so I'm going to pray a 30-second prayer. Because I know some of you are looking at clocks and you're like, dude, it's almost noon. Hurry up. So this is going to be the shortest prayer that you've had. But then what I want you to do, I want you to write down three names. I wrote down three names of people that I'm going to invite in the first celebration. I'm going to do three more. So you can do three of these. Let's pray. God, come right now, whoever the names are that you want to reveal to each person who is here, that you would do that. And our promise is that we will do our best to do our best inviting as Easter comes. And whatever the names are, God, would you reveal those names now to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. So go ahead, write down three names. Okay, so think of those three names, write them down, keep that for yourself, and then uh, just email them to me, and I'll pray. Now, again, don't pick somebody in Australia, because guess what? They're not coming. I don't care how much you say, oh, man, he's good, or at least, boy, the band's really good. They ain't coming, okay? So you put it down. Well, hey, let's stand for closing prayer. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. If you'd like prayer for anything, these folks would love to pray with you. And if today is your day that you want to accept Christ, they would do that as well. And if you've never been baptized, why not? So uh, come to the baptism class. And uh, child care is provided. Just leave your kids there. And uh, we'll have lunch for them and for you as well. So let's pray. God, what can we say? There's probably not much that we could say that you don't already know or you haven't heard. And so, God, we simply want to come to you right now and say, God, we we love you. And we know you love us and we know that you love the three people that you're asking us to invite. And you have called us now to show love to them by inviting them on Easter. God, help us to be willing to go and to be willing to show our love. And that when we put a yard sign up and people are like, oh, you go to the jar and you go, "Ah, it's not really so much about the jar. But it's all about Jesus and the fact that he really can. Turn your life in a way that will give you the most hope and love and encouragement that you'll ever have. So remind us, God, that the stakes are high. Give us confidence and boldness to show your love 
to these three people and do a work in these next two weeks in our church that would change lives so that your name would be made great. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place.